You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. You saved for college, for a house, and for retirement. And now that you're on your own, it's time to put yourself first. Is your money buying you the life that you want? If you're not sure, learn more by scheduling a complimentary wealth checkup today at planefe.com slash hermoney. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What I love about the five senses is you don't need to make an appointment. You don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to buy anything. It's all happening all the time. Um, it's just a matter of paying attention. Hey, everyone. I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. As you all know, we are living in a fast world, a fast-paced world with very long to-do lists and Google calendars that are scheduled out to the minute. Every single day we've got errands to run and meetings to attend and kids to raise and homes to clean and money to make. It can be all too easy to hustle from one goal to the next without taking even a second to pause or to rest. And if I know my listeners, and I think I know you all pretty well, you are planners, you're hustlers like me. You've got a million things that you want to accomplish floating around in those amazing brains of yours. In fact, I'm guessing that more than a few of you are multitasking while you're listening to this show. But One thing that we know is that slowing down and getting out of our own heads is really important for our mental health. And our guest today has actually found that connecting with your physical senses, you've got five, remember, sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch, it's crucial for leading happier, more creative, more productive lives. She's going to walk us through how we can connect today. So wherever you are, Right this second, take just a moment to pause, take a deep breath, step outside if you can, or maybe open the window and grab some fresh air and take a few minutes to listen to our guest. Gretchen Rubin was actually the very first guest on the Her Money podcast, so you all know her. She is the author of award-winning books on happiness and human nature, including outer order, inner calm, the four tendencies, and where it all started, the happiness project. Her most recent book is Life in Five Senses, How Exploring the Senses Got Me Out of My Head and Into the World. Gretchen is also the host of the podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where she explores practical solutions for living a happier life. Gretchen, so good to see you. Welcome back. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be talking to you. So you have been studying the secrets to happiness for, God, Mm -hmm. well over a decade now. Yeah. But 
as you tell it, you realize something was missing after a trip to the eye doctor. Mm -hmm. What happened? So I had a bad case of pink eye, and I went to the eye doctor, and as I was getting ready to leave, he said to me very casually, wear your sunscreen or drink enough water. He said, be sure to come back for your regular checkup because, as you know, you're more at risk for losing your vision. And I was shocked. I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. What? Why would I be more at risk? And he said, oh, yeah, you're, you're extremely nearsighted, and that means you're more at risk for having a detached retina. And that can affect your vision, so we would want to catch that right away. And as it happens, I have a friend who had just lost some of his vision to a detached retina. So that felt like a very real possibility to me. Well, I live in New York City, so I went up onto the street to get ready to walk home. And I'm looking around at the New York City streetscape, and it's so precious to me. And I'm realizing, oh, yeah, I'm thinking it's so precious. And yet I didn't notice one single thing on my way over here. I was lost in my own thoughts. I didn't notice one thing. And I think often we don't appreciate what we have until we lose it or we fear we might lose it. And thinking that I could lose this. And of course, I knew that if I lost my sight or any of my senses, I could still have a rich, meaningful life. But it was still so precious to me. And as I was having this realization, it was like, Something in my brain turned every knob up to 11, and I could see every detail. I could hear every sound on a separate track. I could smell. Every smell in New York City is can be quite smelly. It was all just flooding into me, and for my whole walk home, it, I, I just was so hyper aware of everything. It was transcendent. It was almost psychedelic, and I realized this is happening all the time. You know, I'm having this transcendent experience, but this is it's like this all the time. It's just that I'm not paying any attention to it. And as you said, I had been studying happiness for a long time, but I realized that there was something missing. I had the sense that there was a puzzle piece that I had not yet identified. And that walk home showed me this was how I could engage with the world and with other people and with myself through my five senses. And so the next day I ran out to the library and got a giant stack of books and started researching the five senses. That's amazing. So first of all, you've just inspired me to stop ignoring the nudges that have been coming in from my eye doctor because I am late on my annual Mm -hmm. appointment and I'm also pretty nearsighted. So now I'm pretty nervous, but I will get on it and I'll go. Do you think as you embarked on this that having lived through several years of disconnection during the pandemic played a role in heightening your desire to go on this journey? Absolutely. And I think COVID in particular awakened awareness of two senses in a surprising way. One is the sense of smell. So in the West, traditionally, the sense of smell is kind of like a bonus sense. It's sort of like, that's nice to have it, but you don't really need it. But so many people from COVID lost their sense of smell temporarily. And sadly, I have a friend who it's just not coming back. And I think this really made people aware, either through their own experience or for somebody close to them, what an important sense it is to our sense of vitality, our sense of connection. Of course, it's relationship to flavor because flavor is taste plus smell. And and a lot of times people thought it was their sense of taste that was affected when in fact it was their sense of smell that was affected because we need our sense of smell to really have complex flavors. I've always loved the sense of smell, but I feel like now people are much more aware of like how powerful it is and just in everyday life and in our sense of feeling like that we're vitally engaged in the world. And the other is a sense of touch because people were just bereft. This feeling that you could not touch, you could not hug, you couldn't shake hands, you couldn't stand close to people. You had to keep back. It was so dislocating. 
I remember like I would have a walk and talk with a friend in the park because I'm like, even though I could walk next to you if we like stood far apart, I just can't. I can't maintain that distance for a long time. It's just too unnatural. I have to be close to you or I might as well just be on the phone with you. It's easier to just talk to you and have you in my head than to have you like an arm's length away from me. It's too weird. So I think that both of those senses, we really understood what it was like not to have them and the importance of the role they played in our lives. Yeah. I mean, listening to you talk about it, I've always thought that smell for me actually ranks very close to the top. I think it played, and this is going to sound weird, and so I'm very grateful for my listeners who've been along with me for (laughs) a long time, but I think it played a really important role at different periods in my life in falling in love. Mm-hmm, yes. Like I remember falling in love with this guy in my summer internship program because he smelled like my summer camp. Yeah. And that is 30 years down the road. That is vivid for me. Well, absolutely. A friend of mine who really has lost her sense of smell, she said that she's so grateful that she's like adult and has her relationships because she said she thinks it would be hard to form an intimate relationship with somebody if you weren't able to smell them. It's so powerful. There's something funny called our diplomatic odor. Our diplomatic odor is the odor that we take into the world. So this is the shampoo and the deodorant and the mouthwash because we do a lot to mask our smell. But in the end, somebody's smell does come through. Absolutely. And it's really, really important. But to the point of like, you really appreciate the sense of smell. I really appreciate the sense of smell too. But for many people, they don't. So after I had handed in the book, I was still so engaged with these questions that I went ahead and created a quiz. So you can take a quiz. It's called What's Your Neglected Sense? And it tells you what is your most neglected sense. And you can just take it at GretchenRubin.com slash quiz. And it's really fast. Yeah. Did you take it? I took it? it. And mine is seeing, weirdly. Okay, so this is what's fascinating. When I designed the quiz, I thought no one would get seeing because as humans, we're wired for sight. Like, it has the most real estate in the brain. It's the most sophisticated system. So I thought, well, no one will get it. Yeah, they're all pretty evenly distributed. You are among many who have seeing as their most neglected sense. So let me ask you, were you surprised by that? Or on reflection, did it make sense to you? I actually was surprised Mm. by that. I knew it wasn't going to be touching because I'm a very touchy person. I suspected it would not be smell. I kind of thought maybe it would be hearing. Although lately, and and I want to talk about strategies for reconnecting with these senses, lately I've gotten into a really bad habit of being plugged in all the time. Mm -hmm. Like somebody's in my ears all the time. I know. And so I suspected that it would be hearing. What's yours? So mine is taste, which made perfect sense to me. And then my second most neglected sense, I would say, is hearing. But great thing about knowing your neglected sense is that that's something you can tap into. It's your low-hanging fruit because it's since you probably don't turn to it for adventures or connection. You don't turn to it for comfort or pleasure. You probably don't go out of your way to learn about it or reminisce about it. It's something that you can think about, well, how could I bring it more into my life and explore it more? And so, because with your appreciated sense, like with touch, you're probably already doing a lot of things to enjoy it because it's something that you really appreciate. So I found a lot of ways to do more with the sense of taste. I will say that my two most neglected, tasting and hearing, are the two top for appreciated but there are two clear leaders for appreciated, and that's tasting and hearing. 
That's so funny. Well, I guess that's right. That's food and that's music, right? Or food and story or food and talking. Both of which kind of leave me cold. I got to say, I'm kind of a killjoy in that way. And I think that's part of why I was drawn to Life in Five Senses is I realized like, wow, people are getting something out of the world that I'm not getting. Is there a way for me to tap into that? And I found out that there was, even for someone like me, because some people are pretty tied into their senses just as they go through everyday life. I'm pretty up in my head. For me, it's a big challenge. Well, let's talk through some tips for reconnecting with each sense. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I also want to tie this to the money. And if you're going to put some resources to connecting with these senses, how do we do it best? So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a sec. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. You saved for years for college, and now that the kids are finally out of the house, it is time to put yourself first. It's time you took a look at all of your financial plans to see what you might need to change and how you can save and invest a little differently now that your life and your finances have found a little more freedom. That's why it's beyond time to schedule a complimentary wealth checkup today at planefe.com slash hermoney. We are back with Gretchen Rubin, author of Life in Five Senses. So when you think about reconnecting with your senses, what I love about the book is that you went through all these kind of experiments. Like you're a social scientist, even if you don't have a degree in social science, right? (laughs) I'm a street scientist. (laughs) I'm doing it in my backyard. (laughs) And you did things like visiting the Metropolitan Museum of Art every day for a year, which is kind of incredible. I mean, you're lucky it's in your backyard, literally. But we all have art nearby, hopefully some sort of art. What'd you learn from that? Well, one of the things I learned is I thought this was pretty idiosyncratic, this desire to do something every day, but it turns out it's not that uncommon. And it doesn't have to be a museum. For a lot of people, like people who do forest bathing will often go to the same sit spot. A lot of people do exactly the same walk with their dog every day, or they'll walk to a river and take a photograph at dawn every morning. There's some, not everyone is attracted to this, but I think for some people, the repetition and seeing something change very gradually over time is very exciting. I talked to a guy who said that he goes to his same large chain drugstore every day. I'm like, there's so much happening at a drugstore. Think of a Target. You're like, I can go every day. There's so much happening there. It would be fascinating to see it change gradually every day. And I did this every day for a year, but then that year is long gone now. I still go every day because I love it so much. I brought all my senses to it. So I started noticing much more about the smells and the sounds and even the touch. Though, of course, you can't touch everything in a museum. But a lot of it was the sight. And it was just fascinating. And again, some people would say, oh, the world is full of so much variety. Why would you limit yourself to doing the same thing every day? But for a lot of people, it's a very powerful way to awaken your senses. So how would you advise us to select the right ritual? Whatever you want, whatever appeals to you. One of the things that I think is like there is no one right way. There's no one best tool. Each of us has to figure it out for themselves. 
And so I wouldn't say, oh, the secret is to do 20 minutes of law, you know, could be longer, could be shorter. Each of us has to figure out what our aim is, what we need. So one of the things that's true about me is I'm I'm very, very focused. I'm very productive. I can be rigid. If you know about the four tendencies, I'm an upholder. So all the pros and cons that come with that. So I needed recess. I needed to let my mind off the leash. And so for me, but I knew that I needed to schedule time to goof off because I can't do anything if it's not on my calendar. That's just my nature. So I was like, okay, if I go to the Met, that's just my time where I can be awake, alive to my senses, but I'm not trying to discipline my mind. If I'm spacing out the whole time, that's okay. If I go for five minutes, that's okay. If I wanted to listen to a podcast while I walked around, that's okay too. I tried to keep it like recess, very open, not a lot of rules. The only rule was just go. And for me, that's what I needed. Now, for some people, I think they would like to make it into a meditation practice. That could be great. Meditation doesn't happen to work for me, though I've tried it twice. No tool fits every hand. So I would say the thing is to think about yourself, what works for you, what appeals to you, what do you feel like is missing, and how to think about how to get yourself what you need. If this is a an exercise that might get us in touch with our sight or our smell, what are your tips for getting in touch with the others? Well, a great exercise if you want to tap into all of your senses is to keep a five senses journal. And so every day, just seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, write down one notable impression. So it doesn't have to be the favorite or the best, just something that you remarked on. Like I was walking down the sidewalk, I walked by a movie theater and I got a big blast of like movie theater popcorn, which is such a distinctive smell. Yes. So I could write that down. And what this does, it helps you remember as you go through your day just to be alert to your senses. Because for a lot of people, I think it's that we just don't notice it. So things fade into the background. And I still do this myself because it's easy to feel changed. It's harder to stay changed. And I'm really concerned that like now that I'm not working on a book about it and thinking about it all the time, that I might just like float right back up into my head. So I need to find a way to stay alive to the five senses. Also, I don't like keeping a gratitude journal. I was very annoyed by my gratitude journal when I tried it (laughs) for the Happiness Project. But this is kind of a gratitude journal because it's really like paying tribute to the beauty of the world just with everything that you notice. And also, like you were talking in the introduction about people needing to take time out from a busy day. You don't have to take time out from your busy day. If you're like, I simply cannot take time out from my busy day, you don't have to. You can just be like, you're just driving carpool down the street and you're like, oh my gosh, look at that tree in bloom. You don't have to. If you want to take time, take time. But your five senses are happening all around you. Like just what's happening as you're standing in line at the grocery store? What is happening when you're, you're walking through your kitchen? You can just smell a bottle of almond extract in one second. What I love about the five senses is you don't need to make an appointment. You don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to buy anything. It's all happening all the time. It's just a matter of paying attention. So I like the five senses journal because I think it helps pay attention. A lot of people have the urge to keep a journal, but they don't have the time to keep a journal. And it takes a lot of time and energy. So this is a way to keep it in a journal that is very, very efficient, but still gives you that feeling of creative output. When we are thinking of a new practice in our life, right, like a journal of some sort or a routine, we're either making an investment of time or an investment of money. What's worth it? What did you find in going through 
this process was worth it? What wasn't worth it? I got to tell you that that take on the gratitude journal was completely refreshing. We all think that there's something wrong with us if we don't like doing these things that they say are supposed right. to make us happier. So, right. so what's worth investing in and what's not? Mm. Well, here's a fascinating question. So I asked listeners, what is your idea of luxury? The poet Mae Sarton has this line in her journal where she said, if somebody asks me my idea of luxury, it would be flowers in the house all year round. And throughout her life, for her birthday, people would send her flowers because they knew that what she loved more was flowers. And I thought, well, what an interesting question. What is luxury? So I asked everybody, what is luxury to you? And the fascinating thing was how modest these luxuries were. These were not like big, expensive things. These were things like crushed ice or like an ice dispenser in your fridge. That was probably like one of the most expensive things. Frothed milk, buying cut, pre-sliced, pre-cut fruit. For me, it's ordering a soft drink in a restaurant. Growing up, my parents were like, are you kidding? Are we going to pay this, ex- <laughs> this in margin? No, we are not. If you want a soft drink, you can have it at home not in a restaurant. And so to me, seriously, my sister and I, the other day we were together and I like, we each ordered a Diet Coke and I was like, here we are living the dream, ordering Diet Coke in a restaurant. And it felt like such a luxury, buying a hardback book instead of going to the library, which we never did except as gifts, birthday and Christmas gifts when I was growing up. So I think it's a great question to say, well, what is luxury to you? And when you think about luxuries, they are almost inevitably having to do with the five senses. It's buying new music or buying yourself a a great new set of noise-canceling headphones or... Sheets. It's sheets. Listen to you, touch person, right? You're going right to the touch. Yes. There you go. So this is a great example. Maybe think about, well, I love the sense of touch. What are some little luxuries I could do? Or because I neglect a sense, maybe there's something I could do to boost that into my life because maybe I'm not tapping into it. So again, it's like, what are the little luxuries that for you would bring that in and that you don't have to think of something as being, I mean, of course you could, as like a major investment, but a lot of times it's little things, things from childhood, funny little things where you buy the discount face cream and you're like, look, for six more bucks, I could get the fancy one that has the beautiful smell and the beautiful texture. You know, I use it every single day. Maybe this is a place to spend $6 more on something that is really wonderful. I remember, because I'm such an underwriter, I remember my daughter was an infant and I had, I bought this diaper cream that had a terrible smell. And I am very sensitive to smell. And I remember sort of turning my face away from my, like, beautiful, delicate little newborn baby. And I was like, am I just going to throw this away after having used it twice because it just smells so bad that I'm literally repulsed by my beautiful newborn baby? And I'm like, this is so contrary to my nature. But I am because I can't take the smell. And then I went and bought like the beautiful one. And I have a like a travel size of Johnson's baby lotion that I just keep in my perfume collection because I love that smell so much. I don't use it. I just smell it every once in a while. So again, it's like you don't have to look that far or to spend that much. That great set of sheets, you could use that for years. And if it brought you that little jolt of pleasure and joy and these little luxuries through our five senses is a wonderful way to get that little treat that energizes us and strengthens us to demand more of ourselves. Just a couple more questions. What do you make of negative stimuli. And this sort of ties to my issue of wearing my AirPods all the time, right? Always sort of being plugged in. Sometimes it's not negative, but sometimes it's, 
I feel like I'm escaping the world by listening to a book, by plugging in. Like, when's the line that you have to draw in order to get yourself to be in the world? Again, this is so different for everyone. So for you, you might say, well, I need more human silence. It's it's not that the world is so noisy, but there's always people talking. I'm always listening to people. I need to cultivate some silence just to bring myself back into balance. So that might be right for you. And it's just very interesting how people are so different. So for me, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I bring down sensory stimulation. So if my husband's playing music in the kitchen, I'll just turn it off without realizing it. Or because I love the sense of smell, I wear perfume to bed. But if I'm really stressed out, I'll stop wearing perfume because I'm trying to bring down the sensory stimulation. But on the other hand, some people will boost sensory stimulation to give themselves a greater sense of calm. They will take a very hot or a very cold shower. They'll put an ice cube in their mouth. They'll bite into a lemon. They'll eat something really spicy. They'll plunge their hands into ice cold water. And for them, this kind of shocks them and like helps them calm down. To me, this is just very contrary to what I would do. But many people say, so it's hard to say that somebody should do one thing because it might be that for you, just the opposite would work. We each have to think about ourselves. There was a story in the Wall Street Journal just over the weekend about how these ice cold plunge pools are like the new luxury accessory. And I thought, how awful. Yes, Right? I do not want that anywhere near my house. Right. Um, I did cryotherapy, and I was just like, okay, but I don't get it. I did it, but I didn't get any of that, like, boost of energy or sense of well-being. I was just like, wow, I'm glad I made it out of there in one piece kind of thing. It wasn't yeah, as I'll bad as I expected. That was, the, <laughs> that was my conclusion. So again, it's like if you love an ice cold plunge, that's great. What a great thing to know about yourself. But it's just like the gratitude journal. No tool fits every hand. Don't force yourself to do something if it's just not a tool that works for you. I think it's good to try possibilities, but this is part of the fun of exploring it, which is what can I try? I can have a sense of adventure. It's fun to have done cryotherapy one time, but the fact that it didn't work for me doesn't make me decide, okay, I have to do it 10 more times so I get this benefit that everybody else is talking about. I can't think of nothing worse than an ice cold plunge, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not a polar bear. <laughs> we'll sit on the beach on January 1st. Yeah. Exactly. You mentioned earlier in the conversation having to be close to people when you're talking to them, when you're with them. And a lot of us are not close these days. We are remote. We're doing our podcasts on Riverside like every other podcast in the world. We're not with our colleagues. How do you connect back with the people? And maybe this takes us out of the census conversation and back to the happiness conversation a second. But I do think that they're very connected. How do you recognize when you need more people? I think this is a huge challenge, and I think our whole culture is grappling with this right now because a lot of different things are going on. And we don't really understand how people are behaving because they aren't rushing back. Like everybody would say, oh, everybody's rushing back. But it's like, no, they're not rushing back. And yet it's like, is this good in the long run? Like maybe day to day, it feels good not to be going out. But then at a certain point, that's not good. We all recognize that However much we do icebreaking exercises on Zoom or we have a warm conversation and we it's just not the same thing as being in person. We are wired to be in person. And that is a very, very hard thing to manage. And people 
are still grappling with how do we work through it? How do if we're doing hybrid work, how do we create it so that people have face to face time and yet they also have the freedom and flexibility that they need? I think in their individual lives, people are sort of like, maybe I'm not doing things as much as I did. Like, I've been very curious about this very question. So I've been asking around. And if you talk to people who are involved with cultural institutions like theater, if you talk to like bookstores who organize things like book tours, I just went on a book tour for Life in Five Senses, so I was talking to a lot of bookstores, church groups about talking about who's volunteering, what you see is it's not 100%. Maybe it's like 70%. Instead of coming four times a month, people are coming twice a month. Like, when was the last time you went to a movie in a movie theater? Like, part of it is that things got more convenient, and so then we got used to sort of convenience, but it's like... Is it the same to see a movie at home as it is to see it in a movie theater? No, it's not. Is it great to have that option? Yes. Do you maybe avail yourself of that option more often than is optimal for your sense of happiness and connection? I think we've all got to start asking ourselves that. It's tricky. It is. My solution, and it's not a perfect one, but I recognize that I just... I love my husband. I told him, I love you, but I need people other than yeah. you during the day. And the neighbors in my building are are nice, but I am not spending a lot of time with them. I joined a gym where I actually go and see people, kind of the same cadence of people on a regular basis. And it's made a difference for me. I'm, they're not my friends necessarily, but they're people I see and I talk to. And are you making gym friends? Like, do you? I have a friend I, who started. swears by her gym friends. I have never made a gym friend, but... I've started. I mean, for a long time in my life, my friends were my train friends, right? I was commuting to the city. I had great train friends and great work friends. And now I'm kind of missing both. And so I'm trying to make some and we're in a new city, so I'm trying to make some friends. And I, I, there, Christine, I think is going to be my gym friend. I'm targeting her. Don't tell her. I think that's great. Yeah, because it's just different when you see someone. Just seeing somebody regularly, there's something called the mere exposure effect. The mere exposure effect is that just by being exposed to something, we tend to like it better. Like if you listen to a piece of music or you see even like a just a symbol or if you see people regularly, you tend to just over time like them better. And here's a hack for something like going to the gym. And you mentioned this. Go at the same time because many people will do things at the same time. And what if what you're trying to do is expose people to you and expose yourself to them so that it's, you create an environment where you're more likely to have friendly feelings. One way to do that is to go consistently at the same time because not everybody goes at the same time, but some people will. And that makes it more likely that you'll start to see Christine more and then it'll become easier to like start a conversation and the road to friendship. Absolutely. You are amazing, Gretchen. I would put myself on your couch anytime. Oh, good. Yes. Thank you for doing this. What is the next project that you're working on? Well, I have wanted to write a book of aphorisms for a very long time. I love aphorisms, other people's aphorisms. I aim to cultivate an aphoristic style in my own writing. So this is something that I've been playing with. I often have a hooky book, which is the book that I use when I play hooky for my big project. But I haven't figured out exactly how to write a book that other people will want to read. So I got to figure that out. Any ideas, let me know. Will do. I will think about that. Thank you so much for doing this with us today. And where should people find you? 
Uh, GretchenRubin.com. You can find my quizzes. You can find information about the books. I have articles there, all kinds of free resources. You can listen to my podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, which is my weekly podcast. Or I'm all over social media, just as Gretchen Rubin. And I love to hear from readers and listeners. I feel like the world is my research assistant because I get so many great questions and observations and insights and resources. So hit me up wherever you are. Amazing. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Before we dive into our mailbag, a quick word from our sponsors. Hey there, listeners. It's Nima Gobier. I'm the co-host of MindShift, the podcast where we explore the future of learning and how we raise our kids. I don't teach math. I don't teach reading. I teach people. You'll hear from teachers, parents, researchers, and students as we uncover innovative approaches in and out of the classroom. It holds a lot about how we want students and young people to move through the world, how we want to set them up for success. Find MindShift wherever you get your podcasts. Dive into the heart of crime with Foul Play Crime Series. Immerse yourself in the most perplexing cases where each twist and turn is more baffling than the last. With riveting storytelling and detailed analysis, Foul Play brings the unsolved and unexplained to life, captivating your imagination. Listen to Foul Play Crime Series now, where every story is a puzzle waiting to be solved. And we are back for our mailbag, my daughter, Julia Chatsky, joining me for this conversation. Hey, Jules, thanks for being a trooper. I know you're a little under the weather. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sorry to everyone for any sniffles that may come your way, but bear with us. We're excited to chat and get into it. We've got a couple of really, really good questions. This first one from Tracy is one we haven't dealt with before, although we did do a whole show on this topic. So let's dig right in. All right, let's get to it. Hello, Jean. I have a question about finances around egg freezing. I am going in for one cycle of egg freezing, and since my employer-provided insurance will not cover any part of the cost, I will be footing the entire bill myself. In total, it will come out to around 15000 I have decided to open a new credit card that charges 0% interest for the first 15 months, but I'm also considering selling some investments and doing some tax loss harvesting to pay for the procedure. I have also read online that there are tax benefits for spending a certain amount in one year on medical costs. Honestly, I am lost. Is there a strategy that you recommend for big elective medical expenses like this? Would it be better to leave the debt on a credit card and slowly pay it off? Or sell some investments to pay for the procedure? Would it be worth it for me to itemize to take the medical expense tax deduction or just go with my standard tax deduction? I make $110,000 a year, so the $15,000 egg freezing cycle would come to around 14% of my gross income. Thank you both so much for everything you do. It really makes a difference. Thank you for this great question, Tracy. I know that this is just something that a lot of people are going through right now. I'm sure, Julia, you're starting to hear. You're a little young, but maybe starting to hear with colleagues. And I have certainly heard from members of our family who've uh, looked at this and, and have thought about this. And it is really, really expensive. And I think it's terrible that employer 
sponsored health insurance or health insurance in general doesn't cover it because it is a fact of modern life. But for right now, at least this is something that we we need to cover ourselves. So a few ideas. First of all, that tax deduction. So if your medical expenses exceed seven and a half percent of your adjusted gross income, which clearly in this case would happen, then you are allowed to deduct them, but you have to itemize on your taxes. For many people these days, itemizing on their taxes just doesn't make sense because the standard deduction is so great that it exceeds even many mortgage payments and it doesn't make sense. But in this case, it likely would make sense for you to itemize if you use any sort of a tax software program like a TurboTax, then you could just run the numbers both ways and you could see if it makes sense for you to itemize. The other part of the question is, all right, so whether I itemize or not, how do I pay for this? And there are credit cards that are set up purely for medical expenses. There's one called Care Credit that I'm familiar with because Hermione did a a partnership with them last year. And they offer a teaser period of six to generally 24 months where you don't have to pay any interest as long as you have paid for the total cost of whatever it is you've put on the card before the teaser period expires. Kind of like the way that they used to finance furniture back in the day. But if that would work for you or any sort of a credit card with a teaser rate where if you can pay it off during that teaser rate period, you don't get charged interest, I think that's a really good way to think about it. You would just essentially break the cost of the procedure into it's $15,000. You'd break it into 15 months. You'd pay it off $1,000 a month. If that's something that you could do and not suffer too much when it comes to your daily living, I think that's a really good way to go about it. As far as investments and tax loss harvesting, it really depends where those investments are held. I wouldn't pull any money out of a retirement account because you're going to get hit with taxes and penalties. But if they're in a discretionary brokerage account, a taxable account, and you've got tax loss harvesting to do, then by all means, maybe you'll do some sort of a combination of both of those things or all of those things. And the main thing I think to keep in mind is that this is a big deal, right? This is one of those things that you want to make sure because it is already stressful that you don't allow the money aspect of it to stress you out even more. And the way to do that is to make a plan and to then follow through on that specific plan to check all the boxes that you have set out for yourself because that way you won't get sort of in over your head. But good luck. I hope that it goes well. Tracy, please let us know what happens. Rooting for you, Tracy. Best of luck. Next one, Jules. Yeah, let's get into it. 
Our next question today comes to us from Victoria. She writes, Hi there. I just listened to your podcast for the first time today. I'm already in love. I'm 52 and will have to work till my head hits the desk, provided I stay healthy enough to do so. No retirement for me. Things in life just haven't gone that way for one reason or another. So now I am obsessed with saving as much as possible. 10 years of my work life was spent not contributing to Social Security, but instead the teacher retirement system. So I took that money and rolled it over to another account at the end of 2021, and it has not earned one red cent, same for an annuity I rolled over from another account. Anyway, I want to put my money somewhere that will earn the most interest possible, and I can continue to contribute to it every month. What and where is that? Does something like this exist that will help me when I'm old? Thank you so much for your time. So I got to say, Julia, it makes me laugh when somebody... Why? Well, because she's 52 and she's writing and I'm thinking, and Victoria, by the way, thank you for listening and thank you for saying such nice things about the podcast. You're 52. I'm 58. I'm thinking, I'd love to be 52. Like 52, (laughs) 52 is young. 52, you have so much time. And I can totally get behind being obsessed with saving money. I've been obsessed with saving money for a good number of years now. Okay, let's address a couple of the things that you talk about in your note. 2021 and 2022, where the money did not earn one red cent, nobody earned a red cent in 2022. The markets were terrible in 2022. The markets for stocks were terrible. The markets for bonds were terrible. So let's just put 2022 off to the side as kind of an outlier and realize every once in a while we get a year that's really sucky. But most of the time, the markets do well. Most of the time, the markets will continue to make you money. And so I don't know that I would switch up what you're doing that much at all. Based on your age, I think what you need is a fairly simple portfolio that combines about 60% stocks or stock mutual funds or stock index funds with about 40% fixed income. That's appropriate for somebody your age. You may want to go a little bit more aggressive, 65% stocks, 35% bonds. You want it to be diversified, which means own everything. You want it to be low cost, which means index funds and ETFs. And you can do this with pretty much any retirement account or brokerage account on the planet. If I were you, I would take that money that's in your account. I'd make sure that you are with a low-cost provider and buy a low-cost provider, basically a discount broker or a robo-advisor. And I'd make sure that you were invested with an asset allocation that is somewhat like I described. And then I would continue to add money to that portfolio every single month, preferably through your retirement account where you get some tax advantages for putting the money in. And just to simplify matters a little bit more, if your retirement account is with a big firm, if it's with, say, a Fidelity or a Vanguard or a T-Row or a Schwab or an Edelman, our sponsor, 
then go ahead and open your other account with them to keep things easy so that you can simply sign on to one portal and look at your money in one place where you can get one cohesive picture. And you have so many years until you're old, I can't even begin to tell you, but it's more than 30 and it could be 40. So just hold on to that and we'll get you where you want to go. And Julia, I know you're probably listening to these longevity statistics and thinking, oh my God, I got to do this for another 70 years. (laughs) You know me well. If you all have any other money-related questions, we'd love to hear from you. Just email us at mailbag at hermoney.com. We're going to take a quick break. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. And now we are back with your money tip of the week. If you're a parent or a grandparent thinking about saving for college with a 529 plan, it pays to start saving early because the assets grow tax-free if they're used for education. Many grandparents like to give a 529 plan as a gift to a new grandchild or a 529 contribution to a new grandchild. So it has time for substantial growth. Another benefit to a 529 anyone can contribute regardless of income, meaning that if you're only able to set a little bit aside at a time, that is totally okay. Also, if you're worried that your child will decide against college, 529 contributions can be transferred to another individual with no taxes owed. And as of 2024, you can roll up to $35,000 from a 529 into a Roth IRA. So even if you're not paying for college, you're helping to pay for retirement, and that is a very nice thing. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Gretchen Rubin for teaching us how to use our five senses for a better life. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. Her Money is produced by Haley Pascalides with help from everyone on the Her Money team. This show is mixed and mastered by CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Check out our new podcast. It's called How She Does It for intimate cocktail party style conversations with today's most talented female leaders. This podcast is also part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. You can find us and other shows like us at airwavemedia.com. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll talk soon.